Eckrich, we don't just believe in crafting the finest smoked sausage and deli meats in America. We believe in doing whatever it is you want to do. Treading your own path. Seeing the world. Doing what feels right. And getting creative by skipping the recipe. Because whether you want to change the world or just change up a weeknight classic, Eckrich has got one thing to say. You do you. In a world that's a little simpler comes the tale of Veltima fungicide. Swift, simple, and secure. It's a corn-growing story without all the drama. Unless you add totally epic music, really random sound effects, and a cool announcer guy. Get ready for the blockbuster yields of the summer with Veltima fungicide from BASF. Coming soon to a field near you. Always read and follow label directions. Um, today is Vision Sunday, and um, I've, I'm really excited because I really have been praying and seeking the Lord. And we've actually started already unrolling the vision er- earlier in January, but today I'm just going to bring, I think, it to a climax in terms of a real focus and what the Lord is saying to us as a church uh, for this coming year. And let me rephrase that not only for this year, because in this season. Is that all right? You know, there's two Greek words. One is kairos and the other is what? Chronos. So one means, the latter means chronology time, right? But then kairos means like the season, like the season of God, a season, an opportunity to seize that moment. Actually, if, if you wouldn't mind, I'm just going to hold my microphone down a little bit if you give me a bit more volume in the fallbacks in particular. Thank you. Um, so... It's going to be a great time. But just before we get into that, we will do our offering at the end, by the way. Um, just before we get into that, I want to just share a, a few testimonies. Jeff Bain and I just returned from Chuka, Kenya, uh, East Africa. And while we were there, I'd been invited quite a while ago to come and minister at a conference. And we did an outdoor crusade. And I want to just share with you guys some of the things that happened. First, I want to say thank you for praying. It really made a difference. We were in a rural area. How many know what a Mazungu is? Come on now. All right. A white person, right? So we were in such a remote area that everywhere we went, it was, you know, Jumbo Mazungu. You know, hello, Mazungu. So we just say, Hakuna Matata, right? In Swahili. So no problem. All good. Hakuna Matata. So... And, and the fact is, we, we're in an area where there really weren't um, many white people at all. In fact, I don't think we saw any other than when we looked in the mirror, where I looked at Jeff or he looked at me. But I was like, Jeff, you're a Mzungu. I was like, you too. So anyway, it was, um, it was amazing. The, the pastors were just incredible, um, honoring, just hungry for God. Um, very religious place, right? And that's what I found. Uh, I've traveled to many nations, and people talk about, oh, man, Africa is, you know, or India or whatever. Let me tell you, there's tradition galore in Africa. And what I mean by that is there are people that are hungry for God, but there's still a lot of tradition. A lot of nominal Christians, in other words, that really don't know Jesus. But I will say we saw personally unprecedented miracles for me unprecedented. Um, 
I'll just share quickly just a few things that happened, okay? Um, first of all, we start off the first night. We're doing an open-air crusade, and I preach. They told me I preached like an African. If you guys... How, you guys have never heard me preach like an African, okay? You've never, trust me, all right? But I preached like an African. My interpreter was so on fire that I had to preach like that. I didn't want him to show me off, you know, outshine me. So I had to preach. So I'm preaching away, and then we give the altar call, right? Boom, people come forward. And I think the first night it was all young men and some, some ladies as well. As soon as I came forward to accept Jesus, we just started praying and say, Holy Spirit, touch them right now. And just reach down. I'm standing on a stage and lay hands on a couple of these guys. And, I mean, I'm telling you, the first time, as soon as we touched them, boom, they're speaking in tongues right at the altar. Just touch them. We never even said, Lord, fill them with the Spirit. Just, and they just start weeping and speaking in tongues, getting baptized with the Holy Spirit right away. Now, the second night of the crusade, and we did ministry during the day to the pastors. I spoke seven times. And the second day um, was great. This, one of the most notable miracles that happened was a young man by the name of Brian came forward for prayer. Because what we did was after the altar call, we prayed for everyone who was sick. And Brian as, came forward, and he is completely blind in his right eye. So he said, I would like prayer. So I prayed for him in the name of Jesus, and I commanded, you know, his eye to open. In front of everyone, his eye opened. He started seeing. We did the test, you know, check, hey, can you see here? And he would, he would do, how many fingers are we holding up? You know, the whole thing. And so he, he's completely healed. His eye popped open. Interestingly, the very last night of the crusade, at the very end of the crusade, what ended up happening is he came forward with a doctor's report. He had gone to the doctors, and he told them that he could see. And the doctors said, you're crazy. There's no way you can see. And what ended up happening is they ran the tests, and they said, wow, you can see. And so they gave a report that he had been completely healed. So the, the whole time that we were there, we saw two blind people, their eyes opened. At least three deaf people received their healings, full hearing restored, at least three. And for me, one of the highlights was, um, the, I think it was the first night of the crusade, there was a word of knowledge, someone is here, you have a problem with your heart, your heart beats quickly, too fast. You can't get it under control. And you were just in the hospital getting this treated. And you need to come forward tonight for prayer. Spoke that word out, no response. But it was so strong, I just kept it up. I kept persisting. This is someone here, come. So finally, at, uh, about 10 minutes later, a young man came forward. You could tell he wasn't a Christian. And he came on the platform, and he verified that was exactly his condition. He had just been in the hospital, and they're not able to bring it under control. They've been struggling with this condition for quite some time. So we prayed for him. Boom, he went down under the power of the Holy Spirit. And then when he got back up, I had a word of knowledge about 
I said, I see a little girl. I, could, uh, I asked him if he had an issue with his family, um, where he was a problem in a relationship with your family. He said, yes. I said, I see a little girl. And he verified. He said, it is true. And he was weeping. He started to weep. His tears were literally falling on me as he was weeping. And I just prayed for him, and I prayed for restoration in his family relationship. And he confirmed that, you know, there was an issue with not being able to see his daughter. And he gave his life to Jesus, and he was incredibly touched and healed. Um, as I mentioned, the three, the highlight, I think one of the other highlights was Sunday morning. We went to the church, one of the pastors, and the place was on fire, man. These guys were, like, worshiping. Um, and they were just worshiping, worshiping. And I just began to preach the word of God. And at the end, open up anyone who needs prayer. There's some words of knowledge given. And there must have been, what, over 50 people that were prayed for. And, again, three people, mostly youth, their ears popped open, um, eyes seeing just incredible things. But here is one thing really cool. Are ready? Two things. First of all, a lady, an elderly lady, very, let's just say, you can tell life hasn't been easy for her. And I laid hands on her and I prayed for her. And she started speaking in fluent English without any accent. Like she sounded Canadian. All right. <laughs> That's what I mean by no accent, all right? She, she, did, she wasn't Aussie. Like, good day, mate, you know? She didn't... <laughs> That's what I mean by no accent, right? You may disagree with that, but... Right? You have an accent. I don't, right? You got that right. <laughs> anyway, she certainly wasn't Scottish. <laughs> it's you. So she's speaking in English, and she's saying... I glorify your name, Jesus. I magnify your name. Thank you so much for healing me. So I'm like, this is not natural. This is supernatural. I'm thinking. So I asked the pastors, does she speak English? Guess what? She doesn't know how to speak English. And she's just going on and on in English. It was amazing. On and on in English. So that was the first time I heard someone, you know, declare in, in the language I understood. Uh, so it was so cool. So cool as she spoke out in English. And it was all about, God, you're so great. You know, you're so amazing. And she's speaking this in English. Um, another woman came forward for prayer. And again, we've got an interpreter. And we asked the interpreter, the interpreter will speak to them first of all and say, what's your you know, what you need. So this lady comes forward and she says um, she's HIV positive. She uh, was uh, infected 10 years ago. Husband left her. She's been raising the kids. Extreme poverty. Very, very difficult. There was such an anointing, such a strength. I was doing crazy things, all right? Like I was like Benny Hinn. And I'd say, people, grab my hands, all right? And they touch my hand. I say, release the anointing. And they, and they fall back. Boom. Just like, grab my hands. I release the anointing right now. People falling down. So the lady comes forward. And she is, you know, terrible. So soon as I say, touch my hand. She touches my hand. She goes down. She's out under the power of the Holy Spirit for quite some time. 
I believe she's healed. I'm waiting for the report. I've seen people healed of HIV before. I prayed for a man in Nigeria once, and he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And uh, we didn't even know. We'd, he never even told us he was HIV positive. We just prayed for him, and he got baptized with the Holy Spirit. Ended up, um, that was 2008, 2009. He lives in London, England now. He's completely healed. He, two weeks later, they ran all the tests. They ran the tests several times to check for HIV, and there was nothing. So he's completely healed. So I believe this woman was healed. With what happened, you could just feel the power of God. And I'm just waiting for the report, so I'll keep you updated. So it was an amazing time, equipping, training as well, encouraging the pastors, you know, prophesying into their lives, and uh, just seeing all the miracles that happened. So they they said, we want you to please come back. Um, This was the first international speaker they've ever brought into their area. Again, it's not Nairobi, guys. This is for... They said it was four hours. I think it was almost six hours to get there in the car after we landed. So 24 hours flying, get in a car, we're so tired, you know, and then drive all that time just to see what God did. It was absolutely outstanding. So thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for for, um, continuing to hold us up in prayer as God opens doors. You know, guys, the truth is, This is what it's all about. We're called to go into all the nations and preach the gospel. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world. It's not either or, it's both and. We're doing it here, and we're going to see an intensification, I believe, of the presence and the anointing of God and miracles. But we're also, we know we have to go to the other nations. It's not just me. Hello. Some of you are called as well. You know, Keith Green said years ago, Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. It should be the exception if we stay. There's some who cannot go. We understand that. But we need to be available to go and to, and to do whatever we have to to preach this gospel of the kingdom to all the nations of the world. So what an amazing privilege to be able to do that. So thank you so much for your prayers, for your giving, um, and uh, just say that many more people are in the kingdom as a result of that trip. Many genuinely encountered Jesus for the first time in their lives, as well as the miracles and the restoration, people having hope. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, that's, that's it right there. So if you would, please take your Bible. If you would, please take your Bible, turn to Isaiah chapter 37, or Isaiah chapter 37. I'll get it right. We're going to look at verses 30 and 31, Isaiah 37, 30 and 31. Vision Sunday, I'm going to share some things that the Lord has really put on my heart relative to the power of deep roots. Um, The power of deep roots. In Isaiah 37, verse 30. Let's look at this. It says, You shall eat this year such as grows of itself, and the second year what springs from that. Also in the third year, in the third year, sow and rape, plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. The New Living Translation, This year you will eat only what grows up by itself. Next year you'll eat what springs up from that. But in the third year you will plant crops and harvest them. You will tend vineyards and eat their fruit. 
A few weeks ago, I don't know when it was, maybe three or four weeks ago, I shared a story of a conversation that I had with a pastor, Pastor Kevin Forlong, whom most of you know who he is because he's ministered here a couple of times. And we were just having a conversation, you know, and I really called him to just see how he was going. But in that conversation, it turned and he just asked, so how are things at the church? I said, look, I think it's relatively good. Um, and I said, you know, it's never an easy thing to, to uh, be in ministry in a Western nation. I mean, you know, in Africa, it's easier. In other nations, it's easier. They even say if you have 40 people in a church in Australia, that's like 4,000 people in a church here in Kenya. That's what they told me. Um, said it's just as easy. <laughs> okay. So I don't know if that's entirely accurate, but point taken. So I said, look, we, we obviously want to see more people saved. We want to see more lives transformed. We want to see people really mature and grow in the Lord. And Kevin, as we were discussing, he said, well, you know, there's this scripture where it talks about the first year you know, you eat what grows from itself the second year, what springs from that. But in the third year, sow and plant or sow and reap because that's going to be the year of harvest. And he said, so there's something about the third year that has significance. And when you look at Jesus, he took three years to disciple uh, his followers, right, before he released them. There's a parable in Luke chapter 13 about a fig tree. And the fig tree is not bearing fruit, but Jesus said, the owner says, give it three years to bear fruit. If after three years it doesn't bear fruit, then chop it down. So there's something significant about this third year. Well, as we come up to April of this year, of 2018, the 10th of April, 2018, that will be the start of our third year as pastors here. We're finishing up two years so we're we starting on the third year. I thought, that's very interesting. As I began to pray about it, I just thought, you know, this isn't just something. Because the Lord led me to the scripture, and then Pastor Kevin spoke this way. I said, this is something God is saying about the third year, that the third year is going to be a year of fruitfulness for us. So I believe that. I believe that we're headed into, and we are in a season of great fruitfulness and I want you to please understand that everything that God promises, the fulfillment of it is predicated upon the obedience of his people. Everything. Okay. Now, the truth is God wants people, everyone. He's not willing that any should perish, correct? That all should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But unless we preach the gospel, that's not going to happen. So we have to collaborate or co-labor with him. We have to cooperate with, with him to see it come to pass. So any promise in our life, really, if we're going to see it brought to fulfillment, we have to do our part. If we just sit back and complain and say, why isn't God doing his part? Then the fact is we have to do our part. And if we don't know what our part is, we have to seek the Lord for revelation and understanding. We have to search out his word. We have to spend time knowing his ways. Let's look at Isaiah 37, 31. And I want to just look at the um, New, New Living Translation initially. It says, And you who are left in Judah who have escaped the ravages of the siege will put roots down in your own soil and grow up and flourish. 
So he says you'll put roots down. As a result of putting roots down, you'll grow up and then you'll flourish. The New King James says, the remnant who've escaped to the house of Judah shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. As a result of putting roots downward, what happens? We bear fruit upward. So first the root, then the fruit. That's the order in which it happens. First the root, then the fruit. But the question has to be asked, what is the fruit? Well, there's a lot of references in the Bible to fruit. In Isaiah chapter 5, in John 15, there's so many references. But we could look at each one of them. But let me just suffice to say that fruit is the visible manifestation or the outward display of the invisible life that is inside a tree or a plant. You don't see what is inside a tree or a plant, but there's life inside that tree or plant. And that life, as it flows into branches, and what happens is the branch will begin to produce fruit. So fruit is the manifestation. It's the external display of that life. That's what fruit is. For us as a Christian, metaphorically, it speaks of the presence or the life of Jesus Christ himself. And when we tap into God's presence, everything changes. Everything changes. If we're going to see change in our life. We have to connect to the presence of God. There's no other way that this will happen. You know, the Bible says, if we humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, he will lift us up. The word that is translated sight literally means the face of the Lord. The New American Standard Bible translates it the presence of the Lord. When we humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord, then he lifts us up. So there's something that happens. There's an exaltation. There's a promotion. There's a prosperity that occurs in our life when we make the effort to humble ourselves, but not before man necessarily, but in the presence of God. When we recognize that it's in his presence that we experience transformation, we connect with his life, we connect with his power, because the flesh profits nothing, but the spirit profits in every way. So we have to connect to his spirit. So I've been praying, and I've been seeking the Lord, and I just said, Lord, what do you, what do you want to say to us as a people? And I want to just give you a template. This is a really good template because it can actually be used for every year, all right? It, now, these four M's, those of you who are in 3M, I've added another one. Don't, oh, good Lord, right? Okay. So, 3M was, was torture, right? But 4M's, all right. Uh, so, here we go. 4M's. The first one is maturation. The second one is momentum. The third one is miracles. And the fourth one is multiplication, multiplication. I just want to share with you some of the things that the Lord put in my heart as I've been praying and seeking him. First of all, starting off with maturation, I felt that the Lord was saying, this is a season of settlement, stability, and strength. This is a season that, we will, that will be marked by peace, maturity, and growth. It is a season where we really begin to sink and align ourselves with the vision of God for this house. We begin to understand what he is saying to us, what the Spirit is saying to the church, and 
we begin to align ourselves and sync with that vision. We begin to intentionally live out the vision of God with confidence, with a a laser beam focus. And as we do that, we will begin to see great effectiveness in our lives. It's a season, a Solomon season. That's what the Holy Spirit said to me. It's a Solomon season. It's a season of peace. The name Solomon means peace, where you will reap where others have sown, not only in the past and in the previous years, but even in the first two years here, we're going to start beginning to reap what we've been sowing. We've been sowing in prayer. We've been sowing in, in, in loving people and serving faithfully. And God is saying, this is a season where you're going to begin to see the rewards of what you've been sowing. It's a season like David who prepared the way so that Solomon could experience the peace of God and the prosperity of his kingdom. It's a season where David was a man of bloodshed. David was a man of warfare. David contended for many things, but it was Solomon who actually reaped where David had sown. The scripture that the Lord led me to is Acts chapter 9 verse 31. Let's look at this in the New Living. The church then had peace throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. And it became stronger as the believers lived in the fear of the Lord. And with the encouragement of the Holy Spirit, it also grew in number. The New King James says, The churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. It's a season of of great maturation, a season of stability, a season when we just begin to settle into what God has called us to do. And I believe we're going to bear great fruit in this season. Secondly, momentum. Momentum. As I said, okay, Lord, you know, Listen, I wasn't just trying here to, to, you know, to alliterate here in the sense of just having four M's, all right? I just said, Lord, you know, I Hey, I like to communicate that way. That's fine. I'm a master of alliteration. But the fact is, I was asking the Lord, how does this work? You know, I, I didn't just take out a thesaurus and look for what, you know, synonym is for this word that starts with an M. I, I actually began to pray and say, Lord, what are you saying? And, and the Lord clearly spoke to me and said, momentum. It's a time of quicker growth. Things are going to happen more quickly. It'll be a season of favor that is evidenced by open doors, provision, and answered prayers. Things are just going to happen for some of us as we sync ourselves with God more easily, as we stay connected to the vine, as we put down deep roots. We're going to begin to see that things are going to happen more easily. We're going to experience answers to our prayers. And the scripture says in Proverbs 10.22 in the NIV, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And he adds no painful toil for it is what that word sorrow means. It means painful toil. So there's an ease to what happens here. God is going to just bless us as we have momentum and we're going to begin to see things happen that we've never occurred before. Amos 9, 13, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper. Hallelujah. The plowman shall overtake the reaper. The New Living Translation says, the time will come, says the Lord, when the grain and grapes will grow faster than they can be harvested. 
Wow. A time where overlap occurs because of the bounty. You know, it's so bountiful that the plowing and reaping seasons will overlap. And I just felt like God said, if, if you will really set your heart to seek me as a people this year, and you'll really, really commit yourself to me, you'll begin to see an incredible bounty. You'll begin to see acceleration, momentum, overlapping. You know, you're reaping uh, before, you know, after you're sowing, and while you're still sowing, you're still reaping. There's this overlap that's taking place. And I believe we're going to see God do amazing things. I really believe it. I declare it unashamedly. I know he's a good God. I know that he wants us to reap the harvest. You know, the, the word is very clear that we're not to grow weary in well-doing because in due season we will reap a harvest. We will reap a harvest if we faint not. The key is don't faint. Don't grow weary. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep believing. Keep praying. Keep pressing. Keep seeking. And if you're not fully surrendered to the Lord... If you're not pressing into God, if your prayer life isn't what it should be, this is the time to change it. Because every fulfillment is predicated upon our coming into alignment with what the Word says, right? You will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. So there has to be this, this promise of God causing us to, to find him occurs when we seek him and search for him with all of our heart. When we begin to do those things that he's called us to do, he will do what he's promised to do in our lives. Thirdly, it's a season of supernatural, miraculous activity. I love these scriptures. Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 2 is on the PowerPoint. With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus so with great power, the apostles gave witness. Mega power is what it means. And guess what happens? It says great grace was upon them all. There was something that all of the people were experiencing. The apostles were the one that were operating in this great power. As we see in Acts 2.43, fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. But there was something that took place, everyone who was aligned, who was part under the apostolic covering and the anointing, experienced great grace. And I, and I want to just say this, guys. There is something very significant about being in the right place, being in the right house, being aligned with the right vision, even the right leadership. There's something very significant because as the anointing is released, we know it says in Psalm 33, it drips from the, the head of Aaron, right, and down. And there's a sense in which the anointing comes down. I'm not saying that, that you know, if you're in a church that there, there's not anointed or godly leadership that you can't be anointed. I recognize that each one of us has our own relationship with the Lord. But what I'm saying is when we come together in a house where God is truly given the place of preeminence, and where people are seeking him and believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit, it spills over. It spills over onto all of us. Great grace happens in our lives. And we still have a responsibility. It's incumbent upon us to seek God. You can't live off of the anointing of someone else, but it can refresh you. It can heal you, and it can cause you to experience things, right? Joseph 
because of the favor of the Lord that was upon his life, the entire household of Potiphar prospered. And they weren't even believers. They weren't even God-fearing. So there's just something about being in the right place. And the more we understand that, the more we seek him. And as we seek him together, that anointing, that atmosphere just becomes charged with his presence more and more. And it begins to bring change into our lives. I love what it says. Great miracles, great power, great grace, a time of supernatural phenomenon, a time of healing, salvation, supernatural provision, a sense of hearing clearly the voice of the Lord, clearly hearing what God is saying. And we are going to be more intentional than ever before in facilitating an atmosphere for the miraculous and creating opportunities for people to experience the miraculous, for praying for the sick. On the 25th, next Sunday night, we're going to have a miracle service. If you know somebody who's sick, it doesn't matter what it is. If you know they need a miracle, if you need a miracle, you need to be there. Next Sunday night at 6 o'clock, very, very important. Drive less, save more. Ride Coda with the Transit app. Download today for a 450 credit. There's a new way to pay at Coda. Important. It's in that place where we come together that God releases the miraculous. God does miracles. And so I believe we're going to see this, not only in the training that we're doing in the Ignite School of Ministry, but as we begin to just encourage people, teach people, equip people to begin to walk in that place where they believe God for the miraculous. Hallelujah. Lastly, multiplication. Multiplication. Acts chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God spread, and the disciples multiplied greatly. Acts chapter 9, verse 31. Churches walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So we see disciples multiplying. We see churches multiplying. There is a supernatural multiplication that is taking place. You know, Paul spoke to Timothy about what I've entrusted to you, Timothy. You entrust to faithful men who will teach others. That's multiplication. And I I began to ask the Lord about that, and he said this to me. He said, I'm sending you mighty men of valor. And he led me to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And it's an amazing story about when David became the leader, how these mighty men of valor stood up. And they were supernaturally, their hearts, their souls were knit with David. And these were extraordinarily gifted men. These were, these were skilled warriors. These were mighty men of valor. They, had, they were committed to the vision. They had loyal hearts. They were true team members with no agendas of their own. And it says in 1 Chronicles 12, 8, these were mighty men of valor, men trained for battle who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Now, I don't know what it means to have a face like a lion, but it sounds good, right? I think that that would scare the devil, you know. These are, these are like, these are men's men, you know what I'm saying? Uh, these guys are, these are warriors. And I really just felt like God saying, this is what I'm doing. And so, you know, the interesting thing is like, we'll say, well, yeah, where, where are they? I'm looking at them. Where are they? I'm looking at them, right? Many are called, but few are chosen. You know why that means? Because God says this, I'm calling whosoever will 
But a lot of people are like, that person? Oh, you mean, but as soon as you go, here am I, send me, then God goes, you're chosen. You've not just been called, but now you're chosen. Now, Isaiah was called, but it wasn't until he said, here am I, send me, that he was chosen. And the sense in which you respond to the call of God, right? And God is going to send people from the outside as well. There are going to be people that come in from the outside. God is going to begin to answer our prayers, and there will be some that are raised up internally, and people that are even, they're going to surprise us. Like, we had no idea that you were able to do that. We had no idea that you were gifted in this area. Because God can give you supernatural ability. Just as this woman began to speak in English without knowing English, God can give you supernatural ability to learn to play an instrument, to preach, to administrate, to organize, whatever it is. He can give you supernatural ability to be able to do something, even though you say, well, that's not my gift, that's not my passion, that's not my personality. God can change all of that as soon as we say, here am I. You know, we, we, we have this, I, I'm just going to camp on this for a moment, and I know it's going to really rile a few people up, but I'm going to say it anyways because you need to hear it. We tell God, we volunteer, God, I'll serve you, but here's my terms. Come on now. God, I'll serve anywhere, but not in the crash. Come on. If you can't say amen, say ouch. God, I hear am I, your servant. I'll do whatever you want me to. But don't send me to Africa. But I'm not working with the kids. Why? Because self is still on the throne of our hearts. We're serving God in our terms, and it's self-will. It's self-will. But don't you need to be gifted? How gifted do you need to be to love people? How gifted do you need to be to just serve and love people? Yes, there's areas where we all need giftedness, preaching, teaching, music, obviously. But a lot of the stuff that we need to do is just about loving people. And it's not just what happens inside the four walls of this building. It's what happens everywhere we go. God sends divine appointments into our life. Do we recognize them? Do we see them for what they are, or do we just pass by and walk by that person when it's been a divine appointment set up by the Lord? We cannot serve God in our terms. God will do whatever you want, but, you know, we write in that clause in our contract. And it's not the way it works, guys. All right. We're called to love. We're called to serve multiplication. Here's the deal. Matthew 9, 37 and 38. Jesus says to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The very next verse, what happens? Remember, there were no chapters, no verses when the Bible was written. So, in the very next words, And when he called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. These 12 Jesus sent out. So here's what's happening. The harvest is so plentiful, so great. There's so many people that need to hear the gospel, that need salvation, 
So pray for laborers. And as they begin to pray and engage, praying that God would raise up laborers, guess what? Jesus says, I heard your prayer. Go. You're the fulfillment to your own prayer. You're the fulfillment to your own prayer. Lord, raise up someone for the crash. I heard your prayer. Go. I heard your prayer, and I and hear what is in your heart. How about you? How about you? I'll give you power. I'll give you grace. I'll give you patience for the little ones. I'm just using this as an example. It could be any area of ministry. But are you willing? Are you willing to serve? Are you willing to go where I want you to go? Are you willing to do what I want you to do? You pray for others to go, but what about you? You see, this is the call. And we answer our own prayers. We fulfill our own prayers so often. Because God says, let's start with you. Let's begin with you. Well, Lord, this is my little box. This is how I serve. This is what I do. This is what I've always done. This is what I'm comfortable with. Don't dare challenge me, question me, encourage me to get outside of the comfort zone of my life. But I want to tell you something. Nothing grows in the comfort zone. Nothing grows in the comfort zone. It's only as we're stretched. It's only as we have to step out, then we begin to grow. And there's areas in particular that we struggle with. And I want to tell you the greatest way to overcome those struggles is to face them, is to deal with them, to look them in the eyeball and say, okay, I'm going to step up and I'm going to address this. Why is it that this area in my life is so difficult for me to surrender to the Lord? Why is it that I have such a hard time saying, God, everything is yours? Lord, everything, like the rich young ruler, right? Everything, but don't ask me to give away my wealth. And that's the very thing that Jesus honed in on. That was the very thing he looked at and realized that it was an idol in his life. He would not give that up. He would not surrender that one thing in his life. And as we surrender to the Lord, and as we begin to do the things he's called us to do, we will be blessed. God will change us. We'll have breakthrough in our lives. As we extend our roots, we will experience amazing miracles in our life. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So God is raising up. You might be one of the ones that he's raising up into an area of ministry, an area of responsibility that you never dreamed was possible. So in this year, 2018, in this season, we're going to extend our roots. We're going to go deeper. Is anybody in? I want to go deeper. You know, I love that we were singing about how he's a good, good father. And then one of the lines said, and you call me deeper still into love, love, love. You call me deeper still into love. I want to know his love. I want to know his power. I want to know his grace. I want to know his holiness. I want to go deeper in the character and in the person of Christ Jesus himself. I want to go deeper in discipleship. I want to go deeper in fellowship. I want to go deeper in stewardship. I want to go deeper in leadership. 
And let's look at this. Thank you very much for taking care of that. I want to look at this deeply rooted in discipleship. Let's look at that. Deeply rooted in discipleship. Every one of us is called to be a disciple. What is a disciple? It's very clear in Luke 640. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who's perfectly trained will be like his teacher. So there's a training process, right? If you're going to be a disciple, you have to be trained. So you engage yourself in this training process so that you become more like the teacher. So every one of us engaging in this training for reigning, every one of us going deeper in discipleship. And discipleship isn't just acquiring more knowledge of the Word of God. That's part of it, but there's so much more. Discipleship is becoming more like Jesus. Discipleship, the goal of it, the outcome of effective discipleship is Christ-likeness. But not only do we step up, every one of us, and say, I'm not just going to be a person that goes to church. I'm not just going to be a person, you know, who, who does this or that. But I'm going to engage myself and go deep in discipleship this year. I want to be deeply rooted in discipleship. I'm going to grow. I'm going to commit myself. I'm going to engage in prayer. I'm going to have a private time with God on a daily basis. I'm going to study the Word. I'm going to do those things that a disciple does. I'm going to manifest love to other people. I'm going to do that. And then not only everyone a disciple, but everyone discipling. Matthew 28, we know verse 19 in particular, it says, Go therefore, Make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. The imperative here is make disciples. In other words, it's not just about going. It's not about baptizing. It's not even about teaching in the next verse, in verse 20. But the command in the Greek is make disciples. In fact, it's actually disciple. There's no such word as make there. It's disciple. So go, therefore, and disciple all the nations is what he's saying, all the ethnic groups. Go, therefore, and disciple. Because we can't make a disciple. How many know that, right? You, you can't make your child eat his food. You can't make your child clean his room. You can beat them. No, sorry. But, uh, you, you, you can, but, you know, the fact of the matter is you, you can't make someone do anything, right? You can't make anyone be a disciple, but you can disciple people that are willing. If they're willing, if they're teachable, if they'll commit themselves to the process, then you can disciple them. And as every one of us recognizes that we have a call to disciple others, what does that look like? It might be catching up with people for coffee. It might be spending uh, time once a week going over some scriptures together. It might be serving in, in the context of a, of a small group, being able to disciple other people. There's so many different ways. It could be teaching. There's so many different ways and so many different segments uh, that are involved in this discipleship process. Sometimes it's just praying with someone. It's just ringing someone up and seeing how they're going. And, and then all of this is, in a sense, caring. It's discipling. It's praying for them if they're sick, for example. So there's so much more. It's challenging them when they're living an ungodly life. Jesus challenged people. He challenged his disciples, right? It's encouraging them when they're, when they're, you know, growing in their relationship. It's helping them understand their identity. So many different ways, but each one of us can be involved in this discipleship process. Hallelujah. So let's be deeply rooted in discipleship. Secondly, let's be deeply rooted in fellowship. 
Acts 5.42, daily in the temple in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as a Christ. So they met in the temple, and they met in homes. So there's the macro, there's the micro. There's the large gathering, there's the small group. Acts chapter 20, verse 20. You know, Paul says, that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. All of this in the context of fellowship. We see them gathering in the larger context, and we also see them in a smaller context. Why do we need fellowship? Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We all need encouraged. We all need encouraged. It doesn't matter who you are. We all need encouraged by others, not just directly from the Lord. Yes, and the Lord encourages us, but through others as well. In the context of fellowship, that happens. We are, as we've shared recently, we're rolling out a new system here of care. We're working on putting together a care and connect team, but we're asking everyone to be part of a connect group. If at all possible, be part of a connect group. And if there's some reason why you cannot be one, if there's any hindrance, if there's any obstacle, we want to remove those obstacles as much as possible so that everyone can be part of it. But as I said earlier, no one can disciple you. You must make a commitment to be a disciple. And so if you are in a place where you make that commitment, I'm going to be part of a small group. I'm going to connect with others, whether it's fortnightly or, or as, all, you know, as your schedule permits. There's different options. There's different ways. But make that commitment in that place where you pray for one another. Over 40 commandments that say one another in them. Make that commitment to be part of that. Once a, a week, Right? If, if you can't do it once a week, then at least fortnightly. Make a commitment to be in that place. It'll help you tremendously to grow. And you also have things that you need to invest in other people. Gifts, wisdom, revelation, all of that. Very, very important. So let's spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How many know what a spur is? How many know that when a cowboy digs a spur in a horse, guess what it... When we were in Africa, they had mules everywhere. And the guys had this whip. And we're going down the street, driving in the car, and it's... And the mule is being spurred on toward love and good deeds. And how many know that didn't feel very nice, but it was effective? Come on now. So... God spurs us on. He could have used a milder word there, but he says, I'm going to spur you on. Sometimes you need a spur. How many know that, right? How many know that? Sometimes we, we can put it this way. Sometimes we all need a... Right? That's on the video. You can... But the fact is, God knows we all need encouragement, but sometimes we need a push. Sometimes we need to be spurred on. All joking aside. Thirdly, deeply rooted in stewardship. What is a steward? A steward means a person who works for an owner or a master. He's not the owner, 
But he's the manager. He's the one responsible for the goods of the owner. Do you know we're stewards of everything that we have? You were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body, your spirit is God's. It belongs to him. And what do you have that you did not receive? Oh, there's a good question. What do you have that you did not receive? Right? It says in Psalm 104, the very next breath that you take is a gift from God. So what do you have that you did not receive? Rhetorical question. Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? Well, you know, I've got this business. I've got this, you know, wealth. I've got this influence, whatever it may be. And God's like, what do you have that I didn't give to you? Why are you acting like you had something to do with it? You had nothing to do with it. And it all belongs to me. It all belongs to me. All things are from me. All things flow through me and to me. Everything is from him. It's, it's through him and it's to him. See the circle there? From him, through him, to him. Everything belongs to him. Acts 4.32, now the multitude of those who believed, this is a revival, guys, were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. No one said, hey, this is mine. It's off boundaries for anyone or God. Now, remember, a manager or a steward doesn't make decisions necessarily how those resources are allocated, right? So we don't say, well, you know, I've got this car, I've got money, or whatever you may have, even your talents, even your gifts and your ability. How are you using that? Are you using it for the glory of God? Do you know there's a scripture in the book of Ezekiel that it says, they took the gifts that I gave them and turned them into idols, The gifts that I gave them, they made and fashioned into an idol. We can take our gifts and turn it into an idol. Everything that we have, if it's an ability in the natural, it's still a gift from God. No, I'm not just talking about the manifestations of the Spirit now. It's a gift from God. How are we using it? Are we being good stewards of the manifold grace of God, 1 Peter 4.10? Are we stewarding the manifold grace of God in a way that would bring honor to the master. So we don't make the decision, how is this used? But we consult him. How would you like to use this? And he says, well, I would like to allocate this toward this person, this resource. And as you do that, as you seek him for his input, his consultation, what happens is he'll speak to you. He'll say, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. There's some things that are clearly defined in the Word. The tithe belongs to the Lord. You, if, even if you don't believe in tithing in the New Testament, you cannot get away from the fact of this principle of stewardship. So if you say, well, the tithe belongs to God, can I just say what it really says in the New Testament? Actually, everything belongs to God. Everything. It's not just 10%. Well, the rest is mine. No, it's not. None of it's yours. None of it's mine. It all belongs to him. The rich young ruler didn't have a problem with tithing. Hello. He didn't say, okay, if you really want to be rich in heaven, to start tithing. The rich young ruler tithed. I mean, he meticulously and painstakingly tithed. But the issue was he wasn't a steward. 
He did not release all of these things to the care of God, saying, I, I'm not an owner. I just have these gifts. I have this money. I have this ability. I have this time, and I'm going to use it in a way that honors you, God. No, he had his own plans, his own agenda, his own schedule, and God says, you're not a steward. You're acting like an owner. How are we stewarding? Let's step up. What I, 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 I have a hard time releasing. I have a hard time. So do something. Start somewhere. If you have little faith, seriously, start somewhere. Start somewhere and ask God to continue to grow your faith, develop your faith. I, I, I can't allocate any more time. I can't allocate any more money. I tried it. It didn't work. You can. You may have to prioritize but you, you, you can. I mean, literally. Sometimes we say, I don't have enough money. But then we find we spend so much money in other areas. We waste so much time, and we say we, can't, we don't have time. It's, a, it's all about prioritizing, putting the kingdom first. Lastly, deeply rooted in leadership. As we said earlier, there is a leadership crisis in our world. The harvest is plentiful as it pertains to the kingdom, but the leaders are few. The workers are few. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. If you want to be a leader, you have to have a life worthy of imitating because you imitate Christ. Paul, I'm sorry, Paul, yes. He told Timothy to come and follow him. Timothy followed him for quite a while. Timothy learned to serve. Timothy learned from his spiritual father. Later on, Paul made this statement, but you know his proven character. That as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Before anyone can be an adequate or effective leader, they have to be a proven follower of Christ, a proven disciple. They have to have proven and tested character. Proven and tested character. The reason why some of us don't get the promotion I mean the breakthrough, the healing, whatever it is in life. Our prayers aren't being answered. We're stuck in a situation, maybe a job situation. is because we haven't demonstrated to God that we have the capacity or the proven character to be promoted. Come on, I'm being honest. I'm being real. Like, why would God give us more if we're not faithful with what he's already given to us? It doesn't make sense. All right? If you're not responsible with it, you have. You're not going to be responsible with more. It's a biblical principle that Jesus reiterated time after time. So we have to walk worthy. What, are the, what is God looking for? Let me give you two scriptures in terms of the characteristics of a leader. Exodus 18, 21. Select from all the people some who are capable. They're capable. They have, they're honest men who fear God. They hate bribes. Appoint them as leaders over groups of 1,150 and 10. Some people have availability, but they don't have ability. They're not, they don't have capability, in other words, right? You can learn capability, absolutely. But availability, you may have capability, but no availability. You need both if you're going to be effective in the kingdom. 
God, I'm going to give you the time you need to change me, to prepare me. And I'm going to ask you to help me to learn to grow. There's things you can do to learn how to grow and develop spiritually as a leader as well. But ultimately, it's, it flows from your relationship with him. Hearing his voice, receiving correction, wisdom, sitting under the word, being under the ministry of other people who are effective. Acts 6, 3 and 4. So brothers, select seven men who are well-respected, full of the spirit and wisdom. Wow, I love that. Full of the spirit and wisdom. Full of the spirit and wisdom. We will spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. They, we will give this responsibility over to them. Speaking here of those who would serve tables, those who would minister to the uh, widows who were returning from the dispersion, the Jewish widows who were returning to Jerusalem from the dispersion. Will you serve them so we can, as apostles, give ourselves to the ministry of the word of God in prayer? But even those who would be ministering to their needs, their material needs, had to be well-respected. They had to be full of the spirit and wisdom. This is the prototype, many believe, of deacons. We know that one of them was Stephen. Stephen was preaching the gospel later, and he was martyred. Another one that is referenced is Philip. Philip is later on in the 21st chapter of the book of Acts, is designated an evangelist. So before they were promoted into this place of preaching the gospel, they learned to serve. They learned to serve. Learning to serve. But that's below me. That's not something I could do. Be faithful and God will promote you. Be faithful and God will promote you. So as we move into this new year, this year of deep roots, this year where we extend our roots, Jeremiah 17 speaks about trees planted by the water and even in times of drought, famine will remain green and will bear fruit in all seasons. Why? Because we have roots that reach deep. We have roots that we spread out our roots. We're intentional about spreading out our roots. We're intentional about growing. This is an important thing. I want to challenge you. God was going to bear so much fruit in your life this year, in my life. We're going to see the manifestation of his power, of his character, of his nature. We're going to see things continue to expand, not only overseas, in the Philippines, in other nations, and I also believe in Australia. I believe God is going to cause us to be able to extend. Plant churches have an influence here in Australia as well. And Jeff and I have been praying and as we were away and discussing these things, and, and I believe that. I really believe that God is going to do this. We're going to see things continue to expand in different ways. But we need to be faithful. And I believe that when we're faithful, when we're putting down our roots, and we're going to begin to pray. We're going to pray for this. We're going to call this. We're going to say, Lord, we need this. Lord, we need that. We need people to serve in this area. God's going to put it in someone's heart. We're going to, we're going to pray for resources. They're going to come in for gifts for people with various anointings on their life. And God's going to supernaturally answer. He's going to provide. And I'm really excited to see how God is going to take some of you out of your comfort zone. 
and smash your little box to smithereens. Ha, 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 said the sadistic pastor. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you so much. I want to see you stretched. I want to see you grow. I never thought I would do the things that I'm doing. It's not fun, you know, doing all this stuff. Everybody thinks, oh, it's so glamorous to go to Africa. You sleep in the bed I just slept in. All right? I mean, cramped in economy, with your knees up here, and you're eating food like this. I mean, that's lots of fun. No, I didn't fly business class. So the fact is, all of this is why we endure all things for the sake of Christ. When you're tired, you know, you're so wiped out, and we get out of the car at the hotel, like it's been like 36 hours or something with no sleep, and there's this one pastor, there's a group of pastors meeting us in the hotel after about six-hour drive, and he's just like, hello, man of God, welcome to Kenya, and we're, I mean, I just literally woke up, I was like, what is this, you know, and I wake up, and his, uh, this pastor, he's just full of the spirit and just big smile on his face. And I look at him, and I just start laughing. It took everything within me to smile. I mean, I was miserable. I was tired. But deep down within, I felt the joy of the Lord. I had the peace of the Lord in my heart because of that vital connection of having roots that are planted in him. Amen? Come on. Hallelujah. We're just going to watch this video, and then after that, we're going to just worship the Lord for a few moments. At Eckrich, we don't just believe in crafting the finest smoked sausage and deli meats in America. We believe in doing whatever it is you want to do. Treading your own path, seeing the world, doing what feels right, and getting creative by skipping the recipe. Because whether you want to change the world or just change up a weeknight classic... Eckridge has got one thing to say. You do you. Last time when you were at the pump, did you catch yourself thinking, why am I spending all my money on gas? Drive less, save more. Ride Coda. The new transit app makes riding Coda as easy as tap, tap, go. Plus, we'll help you get started with a $4.50 account credit when you download the transit app and set up your Coda account. What are you waiting for? Download the transit app today. Learn more at coda.com slash transit app. 